You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Michael! Andre! I, I love can't get it over when we open wine. I still can't get over how, um, how good we sound. Well, maybe you. It's just like I've, I've been reflecting on how many episodes of this we've done, and I think about our equipment set up at the beginning. Uh, I remember recording an interview with, was it three or four winemakers from BC where we threw my iPhone in the middle of the room and just kind of... Oh, that was hilarious. Those, those are the days. That's, 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 that's guerrilla podcasting. Well, we're still doing guerrilla podcasting. I mean, this is something I, I like to like to tell people. I mean, um, we still need to get out to Vineland again. It'd, it'd be nice if in the, in the winter months when things slow down, we took this on the road. Um, some people I would love to interview. Um, well, we always like Brian Schmidt, but I mean, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of someone that we haven't really like reached out to. I think some of the, the have new, we ever done Nadia and Nelia? Yeah, we did during the pandemic. Didn't we do that? We have a whole like photo of where we timeline them and treated it as legacy. Now we're a real winery and oh, that's right. Pino. I can't believe you forgot about I that. Forgot about that one. Gee whiz! No, we haven't done Andrew and Christina at Back Ten Cellars. Back 10 cellars. That'd be a fun place to uh, a fun place to connect to. All right, one. Let me think. Where else? I don't think we've done Kevin. I don't think we've done Kevin. Oh wait, did we do Kevin? Do you know? And you, know you know, the pandemic was such a blur, and we did so many interviews. Do you, do you know who you know we should be looking at as a legacy podcast? And I and I, I think somehow we've just totally glossed over it. Okay. because it is such a large company. Okay, but we should be looking into uh, Peller. Yeah, I, I, but I think we've talked about it's just like the company has grown so big, like because we've done Andrew Jackson and Don Triggs. Yeah. Um, but like, I is, mean, is Alan, there Alan Jackson? Not Sorry, Alan, not Alan Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, not the former president, long deceased president of the United States. States yeah. uh, but is, so it's, the company's Andrew Peller Limited. Is there still yeah. a Peller on there the board of directors? Peller. There's still a Peller. I can't remember his name now. For some reason, I cannot, for the life of me, remember the man's name. I think that's a good call. John Peller. John Peller. John Peller. Okay. John, yeah, John Peller. But yeah. yeah, I think that would be a legacy podcast. Like they've been around for forever. I also think we've we've never spoken to Harold Teal either. Harold Teal would be a, an interesting. Teal would be a very interesting one. There's a lot of things we, we say. There's a lot of things we say we're going to do on the podcast. So I know we're getting to there's, the, the there's, there's that thing you know the Harold Teal. I was just talking to somebody about Harold Teal the other day, and there's one thing that I I I have to you know uh, hand it to Harold Teal. He is never. Uh, as far as I can think, uh, dropped his price on his wine. I've always said that after five years, every winery will get a $20 bottle on their shelf. And I don't think he has a $20 bottle on his shelf yet. Who, Harold? Yeah. Uh, but he does have his licensee line. Correct. Which is similar to what but, Stratus but has you, done. But you can't buy it at the winery. No, you can't. But, I mean, like, Stratus came out with, uh, with Wild Tollgate Ass and, and Tollgate. Tollgate, yeah. And, the, the, and, and then there was the other one with the, oh, Kabang or Kaboom or whatever the heck that was. Yeah, but I think the, I don't think that was... That was one oh, of theirs man. as well. It was, it was good wine. Too. Actually, I love the Wild Ass series, too. Correct. Uh, but, but, again, so everybody, like, even, even Two Sisters came out with a $20 bottle of wine. And I don't think Harold Deal has ever had the $20 bottle of wine. And he's been a lot, around a lot longer than the five years. You know, I think it's also a testament to stuff that we've we've talked about on the podcast a lot over the past couple of years. Is it's just like there's still that that qu- that quiet debate taking place whether or not Ontario is better suited for Bordeaux or Burgundian varieties. And 
I think the fact that Harold hasn't had to drop his prices while Two Sisters has is definitely. Um, uh, it's a testament to Harold. Like he's, it's a testament to he's Harold. He's got a vision, but, sorry, what, and, and he's sticking with it. it, it it's definitely um, an exhibit in, to introduce an evidence if we were to build a case as to whether Pinot and Chard are better suited to Ontario than Cab Sauvignon and Merlot. But Harold does both. Not on not on the scale that he does. Like everyone, when, when when people talk about hidden bench, no one's just like, oh my god, Harold's such a great purveyor of of Bordeaux varieties. His terroir cachet is uh, is is Bordeaux. I, I understand that, but do you think more people think of Hidden Bench as a Pinot and Chardonnay house or as a Bordeaux house? I don't know. Let's get Harold on the podcast and settle this goodness, debate. Goodness gracious, that it must be done. He also does, you know, he is also a big fan of his own Rieslings and stuff like that. So I also don't think that we've had um, Fielding on, Curtis Fielding on. We've, we were going to, uh, but we did have Richie. Yes. So, so anyway, um, I, I, have, I, have a, I had a thought today. Just one? Uh, just uh, Did it one. hurt? Uh, it was killing me, actually. <laughs> um, but here's... I got this email. And this okay. is this is what got me started on, on this on this thought. Is it the same email that, that I got while you walked into the house? Uh, I don't I don't know if it's the same email. I got it before you then. Was it from... Uh, Le Sommelier. Bernard... Swasherman or... When I came yes. he doesn't. He doesn't sign his emails with his last name. He represents a Newport. Um, yeah. So he was selling to, to Good Cheese, which is a great bottle shop in Toronto. I'm going to try to shout out as many different bottle shops as I can throughout the podcast going forward. So, but he had. A, so let me just finish. He had the the Tawny Port from Newport at Good Cheese, and not a lot of people are drinking port these days. And I love a good Tawny Port, and I must have bought. Nine of the twelve bottles in that case that was that good cheese. Jeez, and how much? Are, how much is a bottle of Newport Tawny? Uh, Newport Tawny. I think they were selling it for like thirty bucks. Oh, that is pretty good. Actually. So, like every time I set foot in Good Cheese, because they were buying. Um, so it's not a it's not a a, a a a year Tawny. It's just a straight Tawny. It's just a straight Tawny. Just, but but they only like yeah, it wasn't like a crazy. It wasn't a, a vintage port, but it was just like it was just a really well made, um, you know, perfectly balanced. Had these interesting uh, like eucalyptus notes over it. Uh, I think I'm going to Good Cheese maybe this weekend. I hope they have maybe a bottle. Left what are you just or drinking it? You're just drinking it like uh, like water or what? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. So the, so we get this um, get this email, and I open all the ones from the agents just to see what's going on. It says here's what's coming to vintages in October. And he's got uh, a Napa Valley wine at four hundred and sixty-eight dollars, <laughs> and he's got uh, another um, a- another California at uh, four eighty-six. Obviously, we're getting also we're Napa getting, Valley. Oh. We're, we're getting very, okay. So this is the same email. We're, we're getting very close to uh, to how, Christmas. How do we how do we feel about Antonio Galloni? Because these are some pretty crazy high scores. Ninety-six points for the. Amuse Bouche. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not mentioning any names here. I'm just, I'm just. I'm mentioning. Like, I'm just see that like like Bernard. Um, and, and Bernard I, felt it was important to include the tasting note and the score from these these critics. No, no, so I, this I, isn't. A, I got it. So yeah, it's a it's a it's an email. You know, it's a little thing. And then there's a thirty five dollar bottle of uh, of reserve from uh, from Portugal, which you know that's not bad, but it's expensive for a pretty Portugal, expensive for Portugal. Think. Yeah. Uh, and then there's uh, then there's a, a Brunello, obviously sixty five dollars. 
You mentioned there's a Kneeport Vintage Port 2019 at 135 That's a lot of money. Um, then there's a, uh, this one is an, another Italian at $40. So we had everything that's basically in the $30 range. And then lo and behold, there's this little bottle that's Hang on. right in the middle. Hang on. Before we get to your bottle in the middle, I'm just going to do a slight tangent. I think most of the people listening to this podcast would, would know this, but a lot of people don't. There are a lot of agents they're the ones who get the wines on the shelf of the lcbo um they all have not all of them but many of them have mailing lists so you can find out what they're releasing but a lot of the smaller agents are really really good go out of their way bernard is one who has a really good reputation if you go to drinks ontario you can see the full like directory it's it's not uh, comprehensive but a lot of agents are on there or you know if you find a bottle of wine that you really like at the lcbo uh, there is an app called By the Case. You can punch it in, take a look at what agent represents them, go to their website. Most agencies have websites. You can sign up for their mailing letter so you're the first to know when new products are coming up on the shelf. Or if you really love that bottle in your hand and it's sold out, you'll be the first to know when it's coming out next time apart from the LCBO catalog. Continue, Michael. What was this bottle that you were talking about? Gee whiz. Holy cow. All right. So well, I want people to learn something when they listen to this podcast. They're not going to do it from you. So there's this bottle here for... Basically twenty two dollars. Yeah, it's uh, it's Spanish, yes. and it's from a little known grape called Mencia. Okay, uh, which I've had before, and I, I I've, I've been pretty excited about. Um, and then I I read the score. Uh, uh, it was a decanter World Wine Awards ninety seven points for twenty two dollars, and I took a quick look, and 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 it's from the Bierzo region of Spain, and I was all very excited because. I clicked on and and, and and Bernard's very nice to give you the, the the LCBO number and it's linked to the LCBO website and lo and behold there was nine bottles in my local store and I quickly went mm, you know what I'm coming here I'm gonna get one bottle and and it'd be interesting to try a 97 22 dollar bottle of 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 wine because and here's where I get a little bit on my soapbox it's because the LCBO has really done a disservice to local journalism uh and they really are trying to kill local wine journalism they really are they have been for years oh. based not just not just on their food and drink magazine which I know you know what everybody loves I know you love it because it's got oh, some I great recipes years. But um, I hate that magazine because it sucks up every single bit of advertising. And the government should be ashamed of themselves for letting the LCBO get away with that because it has crushed at least two wine magazines um, over the years. But, Michael, the LCBO pays for our health care. No, screw them. You know what? If we were all uh, – if we, if we did a – a free market system like Alberta, we'd be making more money uh, for the healthcare system. Alberta makes more dollars per capita uh, on the alcohol than the LCBO makes. I want to say that right now, per capita. Okay, and they have a smaller uh, a smaller base. Anyway, no, I, I actually, I actually, um, I, I want you to unpack into more details how the LCBO is killing local journalism because this is something that you and I have um, so, so have, have dur- talked about. So during the pandemic, they they they. Oh, you're just gonna gonna go right in here. I'm gonna I was, go actually, right into it. Okay, I was I was gonna like unpack the question a little bit so I can no, focus I you a little bit. No, no. Uh, during the pandemic, they stopped wine journalists from coming in, and I got it. 
You know, we all got it. You weren't. You weren't. Well, even prior to the pandemic, they um, so we used to have access to the lab where we could taste the entire lineup. Correct. Of, so if there was 120 wines, they would have probably 110 wines. Um, uh, you know, they'd have 110 wines to to taste. Most, so obviously, most of those wines. Then they started to curate the stuff that they wanted to sell. Yeah, and with and with no um, rhyme or reason to how reason. they would curate the wines, other than they were choosing which wines the journalists would have access to. So um, again, 120 bottles coming out, we get 60. 60. And and I mean, it's um, I don't want to make any any baseless accusations because you and I have no evidence to support this, but it looks fishy. I mean, it it, it why would why would a bottle from Bernard? who is a small agency with a great reputation, maybe not have their wine tasted while, you know, a wine from, let's say, Profile, which is a much larger agency, Correct. who we also love, for the record. I'm just doing the comparison side by side. Yeah, they were that, that like, Castelli del Greve. Exactly. Greve, Bebesa, or but whatever. it's just like the, 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 the lack of transparency and the rhyme or reason of why wines are curated doesn't sit well with me. So then the pandemic happened, and lo and behold... Guess what? They stop us from going in. I get it. But then, you know, there were ways or are ways now that you could get journalists back in. You get local journalists back in. You know, have three people sign up for 9 o'clock. Have, you know, some people sign up for 10 o'clock. And you can taste whatever um, in that hour, let's say. Uh, There are ways for them to to get us in there, and they have. I mean, it's, it. it's a conscious it's a conscious choice. The LCBO has chosen to discontinue giving journalists access to Correct. products, and you know, Michael, why don't you, as a journalist, find a way to taste the bottles on your own? Well, I know that Michael Vaughn does, but Michael Vaughn goes out and buys them himself. Um, I am not a wealthy wine writer. I don't know. Michael Vaughn's a wealthy. Oh, wine Michael Vaughn's a wealthy wine writer either. And he sort of name dropped one journalist, but I was I was more just getting to the point of the fact that when we write about wine, there's only one place really that that people can widely get wine. Like I know we've talked about it on recent episodes that yes, there's bottle shops and agencies, but the LCBO is still the they are the number one place yeah, to buy alcohol, um, the number two alcohol buyer on the planet. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but we'll figure it out after Costco. Really. Yes. That's not Tesco? No, Costco. I know, but Tesco would have would buy buys for a whole country. The LCBO buys for a province. With, One province. With a very Tesco large population. Tesco buys for a whole country. Yes, but Tesco is not the only game in town in that country. Correct. I think we should look into that a little more. Okay. But anyway, this anyway, the the bottle that we're going to try here and then I and Wait, then I No, gotta, no, let's let's finish your 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 point your point on the on the, the I, local journalism. The other, the other thing you forgot to mention as well is that the um LCBO quietly added uh, a rating system soliciting reviews from customers. Yes, they started doing that as well. So that you know, so any no no offense, any Tom Dick and Harry can put it in. But that's what Vivino does anyway. But, but I, and and don't get me wrong, it's it is a great a great system because cream does rise to the top. Even if, even if you and I think that yellowtail is trash, and it is, if a hundred people at the LCBO taste it and a hundred people give it four or five star reviews, then I'm full of crap for saying that it's trash. I, I guess what I'm saying is though that you the if you used to follow Andre's notes for vintages or my notes for vintages 
or uh, like we used to be able to do that thumbs up, thumbs down on vintages releases, which we were starting to get into, we could no longer do it. Um, and, 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 and that was a way for, you know, and, 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 you know, I'll tip my cap to, uh, Daniel Speck who said, you know what, make wine journalist, uh, journalism easier. So that's why we started the thumbs up, thumbs down. And we thought, you know what, we'll do this on a, a monthly basis based on the stuff we tasted vintages. And then that's gone. And you, so you don't get that, uh, anymore. And that's just, that's just us here on the podcast. Yes. Uh, getting that, um, you know, we when we when we do our article for Toronto Life, a lot of our our, our wines that we we were able to pick for that article were based on at least three uh, tastings: the no, the two Novembers and the December yep. from Vintages Magazine. And we could we could get that to them, you know, early, and they could uh, they could br- they could space it out through the month of December. Uh, last year. Uh, we had to do a, a, a call out, and, and, and you know, thanks very much for all the agents who, who sent us wine. Uh, for okay, that, that was hilar- that was hilarious though, because we got our assignment very late, very late. But I mean, I, it's just we we the, the the thing is, we would have had those wines in reserve. We would have been able to get them all out to you, yeah, and and we would have had a, a larger selection of wines, um, as a, as opposed to a a a, a selection that is. Is more again more curated, and and I and I find that the LCBO is really doing a disservice to local wine journalists. They're trying to kill it. They really are trying to stamp it out and and them. That's what I want to say. Well, and here's the challenge that we're also facing as well. I think most people who have been listening to this podcast for a while knows that I've got a soft spot in my heart for the young, enthusiastic wine bloggers that are up and coming. But we're now at the point where some of these up and coming wine bloggers are uh, quite established at the point. And in Ontario, you don't need to um, disclose whether you've been paid for product or not. And I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I know there are a handful of Instagram bloggers who are paid for their content who don't disclose it. And it's not the people that you're likely thinking of because I know, uh, you know, I'm just I'm not going to mention any names in that respect because I don't want to to pick any favorites because I still have a soft spot in my heart for what is happening on on Instagram, especially as the fact that legacy media just doesn't have the budget to pay for lifestyle writers. So the fact that we have enthusiastic people creating objective voices, as long as they stay objective, it's a good thing. So I don't know how to fix how to fix that, but it's also muddying the waters where the whole caliber of wine writing is going down the down the, the toilet correct and, and you know let's let's also and i apologize to you andre and the listeners for for cursing but i really i really had to give my opinion on the lcbo at that moment um <laughs> it's been a while since you've sworn on the podcast but I think but, that's good but what what i'm i'm you know so you you can curse if it really means something to you i think that's what, at one point we were just cursing to curse uh just for fun i think just to get the 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 the, the bank up uh, for uh, for Brian, and sorry, Brian, you're not getting the bank this year. Um, but the, the I think that younger generation is also. I think some of them would have finally been invited to that LCBO. Hundred percent. And and you know what? That helped uh, a lot of those uh, young journalists as oh, well. My, you, myself you, got to taste a lot. You so, got but, to but taste I mean, a whole you, bunch. So you you and Dean. Um, you and Dean Tudor were monumental in, in helping me get that access to the to the lab. 
And I, I should also say, because there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who work for wineries. I say that, and, and thank you for listening to the podcast. But I just want to let you guys who take the time to send samples and agents who send samples to me, um, I'm trying to pay it forward the kindness that you and Dean showed me by getting me access to that lab, is when I get a box of samples, I try to invite some of those new Instagram bloggers and to I, my and house. I, and, and again, as I, as I said, they're trying to stamp out local wine journalism by not getting these this younger generation in to taste wines from all over the world. 100%. And that, that, I think, helps to build your palate and, and give you a strong base for going forward. This is going to sound like a smart-ass question, but it's it's not. But I think this is a question that some people in their cars or on their walk or on their commute are thinking right now is, well, Michael, anyone with an Instagram account could say that they're a blogger. How do we decide who goes into the lab? Um, so, well, at, at the time that I got in, it was it, you had to be a member of the Wine Writers Circle. Um, and that's, that's how uh, the LCBO determined because... Uh, the Wine Writers Circle of Canada had already, you know, uh, there was vetted, a vetting you, process. Uh, vetted you through. Yeah. Um, I think if the if the Wine Writers Circle was was more of a uh, a viable option these days, um, then we probably would have. Uh, made the turn into start vetting bloggers and things like that to be yeah, but but to, to be real, like the the wine writers are an organization that you and I are both still a part of, and I'm I'm a, I'm a part of it because of the camaraderie of the people who are in who are in it. People like you, people like Conrad, um, Conrad Edgebick, who former wine writer of the CBC, great author, and also just a very smart guy. But um, I mean, to be real, the Constitution of the Wine Writers Circle didn't update with the times. You and I both tried to take it in newer okay. directions. We both, both tried to keep up. And, and tried to do that. And um, just... But the reality is an organization like the Wine Writers Circle is a democracy and suggestions were voted down. Um, yeah. Um, so, okay. My answer to the question is it's relatively easy to vet of what caliber... Um, and, and it's actually pretty easy to vet social media accounts caliber someone is like you can you can set an arbitrary threshold like whether it's two thousand I have three thousand followers on Instagram so I don't know maybe it's uh, maybe it's five thousand but but I mean there are very smart good people and I, I know we spent a lot of time crapping on the LCBO as an organization I think the problems with the LCBO are systemic because there are really good people who work there are there. good people that work there I'm not saying that I'm, what I'm saying I, is I, 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 know- I think that the head of the LCBO is the one who I agree with that. Who, who, who said, you know what? We could save X number of dollars a year by not opening these wines and just, you know, get our thing, uh, get our reviews from James Suckling and 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 from guys who are going to give it, and Luca Maroni who are giving 97s that, and 99s uh, willy-nilly and, and who cares? But even, even that's problematic. And I think that's another topic for an, another day is that for a lot of these agents who work really hard to find delicious bottles to get them even listed at the LCBO, the call-outs from the LCBO demand certain scores. And the LCBO doesn't care where the scores come from. No, they don't. It could be be anybody. And I think think that's problematic. And once again, it comes down to, it comes down to, I'm making it very clear, systemic problems. I really like the people who work at Wine Align. I've enjoyed tasting with Sarah. I I like seeing Michael Goodell. He's been kind enough to be on this podcast a couple of times. The people who work at Wine Align are excellent. The fact that their business model has failed and that they require agencies to pay them 
to write their reviews. And the fact that if I get a bad review from WineAlign, I can ask them to remove it from their website means it's no longer journalism. And I don't understand why the LCBO is not scrutinizing where the scores are coming from. That they like, I don't know, Michael. You and you and I should just start. They, you, you and I should just start two guy two guys scoring wines and for twenty five bucks, I'll give you a ninety five points. Ninety five. You got to give them a ninety nine. You got ninety nine. Okay, fine. Like like maybe maybe I'll that's give, the road you and I need to go. I'll give them one hundred and four if that's what they'll do. But for for the record, Michael and I are both not wealthy. Not the not that the people who are scoring wines for Wine Line are also wealthy. Let's just make it very clear with that. No one's getting rich scoring wines in Ontario. No. But like. I'm just making in it very clear. We would we would never do that. I need to sleep at night. I worked right. in newsrooms for 20 years. Journalistic integrity is something that's very important to me. I had that conversation uh, on one of my tours uh, just just recently. So anyway, what? So the the wine here. We should get back to this. Yeah, I do. I do have another bottle that I brought, which has a story behind it. This is not a 97 point wine. So this is called uh, PK. P-E-I-Q-U-E. It is a Mencia. Uh, and I, I color, like it. The color I think is it's fascinating. Bri- I think it's, it's bright cherry. Yep. Uh, it's, it's a black olive tapenade. It's got lots of acidity to yep. it. I bet you this is a lovely uh, a lovely wine uh, for... Um, I don't think there's cellaring potential here. I don't think there's a lot of cellaring potential. I think, there's, it's, this, I think Mencia is like the Gamay of Spain. You know? I, I recently opened up a Bernarda. That I really liked, and I, I I I said that Bernarda is like the Gamay of uh, of Argentina. Although the Bernarda that I did open up had a, had had some pretty ballsy characteristics to it, so it did have some ageability. But for the most part, Bernarda is not an ageable wine, and this Mencia uh, is is a very pleasant, chillable. Yes, uh, you know patio wine. If that's what you're looking for, it's, it's got it's got it's, fascinating savory elements, but they're not they're not underripe fruits. Like I said, like for me, it's bright cherry mm-hmm. and like black olive tapenade. Great acidity. Though. I, I think it's a food pairing wine for sure. 100%. Oh, and, and we'll save this. I've got uh, so I've got brisket for supper tonight. Oh, so that's it'd be lovely. Yep. So I, I find this a very pleasant wine. Ninety seven, not a chance. Mm-mm. Maybe no way in hell this is a ninety seven. This push like ninety one. This, this pushes. The just fin- pushes a four star. Pushes it. Oh, it's it's yeah. I'm with you on that. Like a three and a half plus four star. Twenty two dollars is what's kind of keeping it from. Yeah, four if, it was, star if it was that thirty, if it was that thirty five dollar range, if it was four hundred dollars. I I oh know, no I'd way like, in hell. No way. But at twenty two dollars, I'm saying even if this was oh. like seventeen ninety five for me, it would be like yeah, this is an awesome seventeen ninety five yeah. bottle. So I think that's this is really really a nice bottle of wine. Yep, but. Uh, and Bernard, thank you for bringing it in. Yes. Um, and um, but I know you didn't Sorry. send it to us, but I did want to. Um, I mean, that's another thing is uh, we're being very clear on which bottles we're paying for. Which we're opening up two bottles on this podcast that we paid for, and uh, Michael and I do get a lot of wine sent to us. Okay, so yes, woohoo! So now something this, I actually convinced you to spend more than thirty dollars on. So this is a bottle that's uh, a 2016 Domaine de Remisière Domaine de Remisière uh, Saint-Joseph Saint-Joseph is there a parrot in the room or something? no just making sure that you get your accent correct so um, yes so Andre uh, a few years back and uh, I can actually check the, the date on it uh, in 2019 so two uh, three, almost three years ago um convinced me because you had been to this winery is that correct yes yes that this was a wine that needed to be 
purchased. Yes. And I believe they were $36? Yes. It was... Uh, I lucked out on... Um, they had some like loose bottles at the end. Like I, I've bought quite a few of of these bottles from. I'm just trying to remember who the agent is. So uh, while you're figuring that out, so you talked me into it, and um, and and because because you're like, uh, it's really good. Blah 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 blah. You got to trust me on this. And you were trying to sell a six pack, and I'm like, all right, mark me down for one. Yeah, it's bricks and mortar. And I said, okay, uh, mark me down for one, and. So now I'm a I'm a I'm a person who holds my wine because this is a Cote du Rhone. Yes, I I open mine way too prematurely. I I think I bought two bottles, and it's one of those ones where because it wasn't super duper expensive, and we drink a lot of Ontario Syrah in the house. Like I busted out a decanter a couple of nights, and the Saint Joseph it it was stubborn. It was stubborn to open up the, the previous times that I, I opened it. So the fact that you saved this, I think, is a testament to the fact that I need to be So I've held it patient. for three years. And now, I guess we're, we're comparing... I don't know what we're really comparing. We're comparing a, a, a cheaper Spanish wine to a $36 French wine. Granted, I have held it. And this now, is a 2016 so it's a 2016. Yep. And um, now I read somewhere on uh, Seller Tracker, somebody said this is getting old. So I don't know if. And so I suddenly I started to worry. I'm like, oh my god, maybe I shouldn't have held it. Whoever and, said this is getting old, I don't think understands wine. I already the, the nose is more intense than the than the Spanish wine. So I'm getting some leathery notes to it, not not over intensely leather. Yeah, but I'm also getting cassis and yeah. like dark. Like super ripe raspberry, like right at that yeah. point where it's like, I'm getting eucalyptus too, or I, I no, I'm, 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 I'm pulling back eucalyptus. I'm, I'm going to say full on mint. Like it's, it's like you've there's got a raspberry. A, there's maybe a minty kind of note to it, but yeah, there's definitely some dark fruit. I'm getting a little bit of the spice. Okay, it's making maybe lacking a bit of concentration on the palate. Hmm. But yeah. the tannin is super soft. This is in this is in the sweet spot right now. Yeah, this is drinking well. Um, now we just we literally just pulled the cork, yes. literally just pulled it. So you know, giving it twenty minutes might might be able to open it up. I remember sitting with Steve Gill at Niagara College and uh, and tasting uh, uh, their um, Dean's List Merlot, and I and he's like, "This has won a lot of awards. Everybody's loving it." Blah blah blah, and they opened a new bottle for me, and. Um, I went, eh, I'm not a big fan. And he's like, really? And then uh, he got another pouring for me. And the second pour was better because it was 20 minutes later. So Let's uh, see where this goes. I- so I think this, this might open up. I really do hope it because uh, uh, currently, Andre, uh, $36. I don't think your track record is very good at the moment. I think it's a, a little it's a little bit better than the Mencia, but not $14 better. No. No, the, the Mencia, to me, had a lot more fruit on the palate, and the acidity was a little bit better. This one is very soft. Um, I don't think the guy on on Cellar Tracker, when he said this thing's dying, I don't think it's dying. No. Uh, but it is pretty soft. Yes. And you're getting a little more of that, that mocha, leather, black cherry uh, fruit. 
But that being said, um, this this is one of these wines that gives me a little bit of inspiration for Ontario, right? Because this is a, a well-known appellation in the Northern Rhone. And when I taste this at $36, I'll bet you I could pull something out from cassava that would be as good, if not better than this. And Probably the from variety. the same year. Uh, definitely from the same year, yep. 2016. Um, let me see. I think I actually might have a either a cassava or a leaning post that we could open up next to this if we want to do like the the Syrah showdown. Sorry, Domingo Remisier, I love your wines, but I think we, we may be about to put you on trial a little bit. All right, do it. All right. Um, I couldn't find any cassava that's ready to drink, um, but I pulled out... A leading post that's definitely not ready to drink. Uh, Twenty nineteen. What's the vineyard name on it? Mm. Um, Kazan, the Kazan Vineyard, two thousand nineteen, Lincoln Lakeshore. Mm. So, so the the Rimizier, yeah, I'm getting mocha, I'm getting mo- mocha on the Rimizier at this point too. So, um, we had a we had a quick discussion while you were you were grabbing the bottle. And uh, we did mention that some of these um, these uh, well-known Rhone Valley wines act as Burgundy does. Sometimes they go into those dumb phases. Yes. So uh, well, it's 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 one of my prized bottles from my trip to France in twenty. Isn't this great? I've been to France enough times I can't remember what trip. It was It was the first time that I went to the Northern Rhone where... Oh, you're doing the side-by-side comparison with color? Yeah, our color is ni- in 19 is very light, obviously, because it's a 19. Like, yeah. I mean, like- Anyways, I brought back a, a Hermitage from Domaine de Rimisière. I think I spent about $50 Canadian on it at the winery. And um, yeah, I have no idea when I'm going to open that wine. Well, you said that uh, you were under the impression that you had to wait another 10 years because you had missed one of the windows. Yeah, so apparently with, with I've been told from several sommeliers that the way Hermitage works is you have a, a window where you can drink it in its youth, um, decant it to help the, the tannins soften, and then it like it goes to sleep for a little while, and then it wakes up again I in about Bur- 10 years. Well, Burgundy does the same thing, right? So anyway, so here we are. Oh, with, this, a, with, a, with a leaning post uh, 2019 Syrah. You see, I like the nose better on the uh, Remisier. Oh, I like the nose better on the leaning post. It's it's like vibrant and fresh cherry. And I, I'm getting, I'm getting like, like little little like, notes of like spice on it, but I'm like getting lavender and soapiness and. You don't like the smell of lavender, Michael. And soapiness. Lavender always reminds me of like that soap that grandma always had. Lavender reminds me of urinal cakes at Taylor Field in Regina. Palettes. Very Syrah. Um, very cool climate Syrah, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I like a little more oomph to my Syrah. Uh, 2019 was a challenging vintage. Correct, and that's the, that's the thing we're looking at here. Okay, we're, but but would you? Okay, if I were pouring both of these blind for you, yeah, I, I think it would be hard to pick head or shoulders which one is better than the other. But I mean, are, are, can we both be in agreement that both of these are 
Good wines. Not great wines, good wines. I would say they're both good wines. Uh, I lean a little more towards the Remisier because of its uh, weight. Uh, I, I do like I, I like the the flavor even even in its muted stage I like its flavor profile better knowing that it is Syrah but it is also Mouvedre and Grenache and you know probably another twenty other grape varieties that probably go into this wine. I think the Saint Joseph is just Syrah from. Ruby and that's Zero. it. Yeah. Uh, if I'm, not, I, I could be, I could be mistaken, but I'm ninety percent certain it's just Syrah. Oh well, somebody's gotta gotta help us on that one. I'll take a look on their, I'll take a look on their site oh. when we're doing that. Um, I, I, I can't pick. Um, I think it's, I think it's fifty fifty between the two. They're both delightful for different reasons. Um, I really don't think that. I don't think the leaning post has a long life ahead of it. The tannin's really soft. Like we just we popped the cork and opened it, and my kitchen is cellar temperature now that it's Correct. a little chilly outside. It is. It is. It is on the cold side, so it's it's uh, yeah, definitely cellar temperature. So, um, and the Remisier was probably a little warmer than it should have been, uh, so that could have helped it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I I like the leaning post. I understand it because it is cool climate. The Saint Joseph is a hundred percent. Oh, it is hundred percent all right, so they are to 100% Syrah. I, I, I do believe that, that St. Joseph is, for the most part, 100% Syrah. Just being that far north, I don't have much Grenache and Mourvedre planted in um, in the northern Rhone. So that means that I, I need a trip to the uh, the Rhone Valley. So if uh, the Wines of France is listening, I would really like a I would trip. Love, I, can, I, can I come to... Okay, yeah. so the day that we went to Domaine de Remizier, if I can go off on a tangent, um, it was a day that Anya picked, and... Like, I was so focused on Beaujolais and Burgundy at the time. Like, this was around the time ADX had, like, we decided to continue with the company. Have you ever had Valrona chocolate? No, but I think you uh, you may have texted me a picture or something. So, Valrona is, like, ultra-premium chocolate. And it's one of these things where when my wife, who's a pastry chef, was teaching me about chocolate... Uh, I was just like, oh, you mean like lint? Like, because you think of lint as like decadent and like. Oh, because really of that commercial with the guy no, with the hat. And not just that, but like, come on, come on. Like, let's face it. Who doesn't like putting like one of those little like lint balls with like the, the ganache on the inside in your mouth? And it's just like, it just makes your mouth so happy. And like, Anya just looked at me. It's just like, you know, like I'd kicked the puppy or something. Just like, oh no, lint is not premium chocolate. So, um, pastry chefs, there's a few companies that kind of dominate that industry. Cocoa Berry is one. It's a fun name to say. But like, these are not chocolates that you will find like on the shelf of a store. Valrona is another, and they are slowly working their way into a retail market. The Valrona factory, so they have the city of chocolate in the northern Rhone. So Valrona, Valley of Rhone, chocolate. So we planned our day. We went to Domendo Gomisier. We went to the city of chocolate, and like the day was incredible. Um, so yes, if you're planning a trip to the Rhone, and if Wines of France are listening, you have to send us to the city of chocolate as well. Oh, all right. Okay. But I actually... I have a little bit of Alrona chocolate in the cupboard. Do you want to taste it? I I have never said no to uh, chocolate in my entire life. So um, I and and I'll be honest with you. I I you know as when when I think of cookies, I still think Oreo. Although my favorite cookie of all time, favorite is pirate peanut butter. I'm just saying. Okay, so so this is one of the things that my wife taught me is that I love milk chocolate. Most milk chocolate has about thirty percent cocoa content. Mm. 
you can make something that's called a dark milk chocolate where they push the cocoa content a little bit. And mm. then with this, so this is a chocolate called Hivera. Mm. Valrona doesn't pay me to talk about this. It's just, it's one of the things in my mm. life where like, this chocolate is very expensive. Don't get me wrong. But like, it just, oh, you're doing wine and chocolate. Oh my God. How bad is it? That one doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> How's that the was- chocolate? I love the chocolate. Don't get me wrong. That's that is some of the nicest chocolate I've ever had. Oh my god! Okay, I know, right? Okay. 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 So I know we're getting close to Halloween, but and it's always people are always talking about wine and chocolate, and I I refuse. No, nobody's taking their kids Halloween candy. Uh, and no, yeah. Oh, that was with the uh, the leaning post was inoffensive with the chocolate the, the leaning the post has some really strong like smoked meat notes to it as well which yeah. is pretty Remy's Yarrett was terrible with, with the chocolate terrible mm. people I don't know why everybody loves pine and chocolate I don't either alright um, alright we are off on a tangent we are so off on a tangent we started this podcast to talk about we, we talked about how the LCBO is hurting local journalism which means also, if you're listening to this podcast, we really appreciate it. Um, I know I generally do the Patreon shout-out at the end, but uh, Michael and I don't make a lot of money doing this. Uh, but the journalistic aspect is something that's very important. Uh, if anyone decides to sponsor this podcast, we would be very um, transparent about who, how, and where the money is being spent, because that's also important. But patreon.com slash wine helps support independent wine journalism from two guys who really give a crap about wine journalism we realize we're not and integrity and And that's it we realize we're not uh curing cancer with this with this podcast or doing crime journalism we know true crime podcasts are very popular um but yeah we appreciate the support when you um when you when you do it and you're helping us stand up to the lcbo and their anti-competitive behavior and help you the listener Discover great bottles of wine. So really quickly here. Uh, All three of these wines I, are, are fine. I don't know if I would buy any more of any one of these. And I'm really sorry to Leaning Post because I know Nadia probably listens to the podcast. She does. Uh, this, um, you know what? I've, I've always loved Leaning Post Gamay. I love hmm. their 50 uh, Pinot. And I love hey, guess their what my favorite wine is. Guess what my favorite wine is from Leaning Post? Some Chardonnay, isn't it? Yes, it is. You want to know which one? No. The Grimsby Hillside. I know you said no, but I was going to tell you anyways. Oh, that is a good one, actually. So, the, the look, the uh, I don't think the Mincy is uh, a terrible wine. I no. Think it's, I think it's very nice. Not 21. 95 points. is not bad. Not 97 points. It's a thumbs up. It's a. It's not a hard four. It's a very soft four. I'm not giving it. I'm not. Soft four. I'm, thumb, I'm thumbs downing it. I think, no. I think 22 bucks. Um, something comparable. I'd rather... I'd rather get into something else from Spain. I'd rather buy a bottle of Cune for eighteen bucks. True enough, but I, I, I thought for like a Spanish gamay ish kind of wine, that's uh, that's an interesting wine there. The Domain Rimisier, if you have to phone me up again and and uh, say we got to get some, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know if I, I don't I don't think I do it for thirty six dollars. And uh, the Leaning Post, uh, you know what, nineteen maybe not the year for Syrah. Uh, but but so we can end on a high note because I'm going to try to have us end on a high note. This chocolate is phenomenal. That's a great high note from Michael from Andre. Crap vintage 
And I know we said we don't say good or bad vintage on Terry, but 19 was a crap vintage. It was a hard, cool vintage. The 19 Syrah, in a vintage where Syrah should have had a hard time ripening, is holding up against the St. Joseph. It's, yeah, it's still it's still a good bottle I am, of wine. I am, I am enjoying both of these wines, just not for what I would have paid for them. Correct. Great. Okay. Andre Pru, AndreWineReview.ca, at AndreWineReview. Take us away, Michael. I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Find me on social media as The Great Guy, as Michael Pincus. Um, look for the newsletter, uh, which has got uh, a new commentary section. And Andre, thank you for editing it. Oh, God. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.